I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today I am out of the office. I'm actually in Henderson going to Immigration New Zealand, and I'm with RNZ's immigration reporter, Jill Bonnet. We are here to see if we can find out what process Immigration New Zealand goes through to actually give people visas or to reject visas. And this dates back to last year, doesn't it, Jill, when, I mean, there have been so many immigration stories around and there was a lot of criticism about the length of time, the backlog, the people who couldn't get in the country, the people who did get in the country. Natalia Chetkova is facing deportation. Please let us stay. Newsharm can reveal the immigration minister has ordered his officials to grant 600 fewer residence visas a month. There's been a sharp rise in fraudulent electronic visa letters being picked up by Immigration New Zealand. A Gisborne forestry contractor is calling for the immigration minister's resignation, saying delays in process migrant worker visas is costing the industry and his disadvantaged region hundreds of thousands of dollars. I needed to better understand what leads up to that decision. It came about actually because I was interviewing the head of Immigration New Zealand, Greg Patchell, and he invited me to come and have a look around. And it was at that time, as you say, when the visa delays were, were soaring and there was then the debacle of the partnership visas. A change in approach by Immigration New Zealand in May made it harder for those in arranged marriages to get partnership visas. It's clear as daylight. They're not partners. Full stop. That was changed as a result of Immigration New Zealand officials changing the way they were operating. We'll reverse back to the status quo and the way it was operating before. And I remember you came over to my desk and said, I wonder if we could just have a look around and, you know, wouldn't work out what happens, like follow the process of a visa. And I said, well, you could maybe come along. And I think I was invited maybe in July, but it's taken a wee while. But here we are. Here we are. And the other interesting thing that we've had to do before we come here is that we've had to sign a confidentiality deed uh, which states that if we see a name on an application form, I guess, we, we can't name them. And it's going to be interesting whether we will get answers to some of those quite tricky questions for Immigration New Zealand. Yeah, I mean, it's been true to say that immigrants and um, people in the industry have um, been frustrated at the lack of answers that they've got to why this happened to begin with, who was responsible and why they're having to wait so long for delays. After all, it's caused a lot of, of heartache over the last couple of years. We've applied for my partnership visa, for my wife's partnership visa in April, and I've lived together with my partner for six weeks. And after waiting for six months and pretty much asking them on a daily basis, they've finally assigned the case officer in October and declined it right away after an interview call within an hour or two, saying that we haven't lived together. Also, they are hopefully going to be able to fill us in, as you say, on the process itself. Exactly. OK, well, let's go. Getting this kind of access to an immigration office is really unusual. The Henderson office was going to close down as part of Immigration New Zealand's big shake-up last year. But then it was hit by record visa volumes. We're talking about more than a million last year. And instead of shutting down, Henderson's become an overflow office. It's doubled in size to 90 workers with plans to add at least 50 more. Hi. Hello. Hi. 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 Hi.
We meet at the door by Yvette McKinley, Head of Comms, and a raft of other top staff at Henderson, Cara Eskery, Janine Parsons and Jenny Melville. As the overflow office, it deals with pretty much any kind of visa. It processes tens of thousands of applications every year. And here's Cara Eskery giving an example of when the pressure really comes on. Just two days ago we had about 1,100 Malaysian holiday scheme applications land with us. So we went from being a 4,000 on-hand office to a 5,000 on-hand office within a matter of a day. Can you explain 4,000 on-hand to 5,000 on-hand? Yeah, so we've got 4,000 applications on-hand. Um, and then within temporary applications and then... They're the ones that are currently being processed? Yes, that's correct. And then within one day we had gone to 5,100 or something like that because... the working holiday visa policy, um, we have certain agreements with certain countries and they get a certain number of places per year that that people can apply. So Malaysia's quota is 1,100 working holiday visas and as soon as the date opens for when that scheme becomes available... Everybody applies at the same time to ensure a place. So generally overnight we can have 1,100 applications lodged at the same time. And that's your maximum for that For that country, because yeah. that's the agreement between New Zealand and Malaysia for that scheme. The office is like any other. Rows of workers sitting at computers, there's a couch and a table tennis table. It's when we go into the boardroom that Jill and I start to ask the questions we're here for. And a lot of the detail can't be recorded. Immigration New Zealand is worried we'll reveal a name or how it tracks down fraudsters. But we promise no names, nothing to identify the applicant. I'm Jenny Melville. I'm the Acting General Manager for Border and Visa Operations in Immigration New Zealand. We're looking at a big screen here, which is showing us a case of someone who has, what, applied for a second resident visa? Yeah, so this is a client who um, obtained residence um, a couple of years ago through um, one of our family categories. She decided to travel overseas and discovered that actually she hadn't applied for travel conditions on her visa, so she was unable to return. So she subsequently decided to apply for a subsequent residence visa, and she submitted a passport with that resident visa. Now, that passport... To the naked eye, you can't actually see anything wrong with it? No, I'm looking for any kind of mistake. I thought there might be a spelling mistake or a photo, but I don't see anything wrong with it. So what our, what our support officer did is they put it through a document checker, and the document checker didn't actually work, or so she thought. So um, she kept checking it, kept checking it, and it wouldn't scan properly. So it was sent off to our identity unit to have a f- closer look at um, the passport itself, just to make sure that it was actually a genuine passport. So what you're seeing up here on the screen is actually that it's not a genuine passport, and some of the identifying features there and some of the security features are really evident. So, for example, on the left, you'll see that the numbers on the passport are very, very blurred, whereas on the right, they're in slightly different um, versions of the colour and very, very sharp. So who would be looking at this and picking, picking this out, or would it be a machine that's doing that? So this particular thing would be a machine that's bringing up the picture, but it would be the identity um, unit that would be looking at this and actually identifying which bits that they were going to look at. So again, this is the next one that we're looking at. 
What you can see on the left is that the passport has a hand-cut corner, whereas on the real version of a passport, you can actually see the corner as much neater and perfectly round as opposed to nice little sharp edges on the corner there. Can we just go back to that passport again? I want to see if I can... Yeah, even after that, I couldn't detect that. You know, yeah, so these, these sorts of things are very, very difficult to detect by the naked eye, but certainly um, most passports have some kind of security features which can be detected under certain conditions, and those would be what we would actually look at when we were trying to figure out whether it was um, a genuine passport or not. And what you'll see in this final picture is very, very poor quality micro print along that section of the passport where it should have the country's name running along the picture there. Right. And again, another, just another UV scan there where you can see the security features on the right-hand side should actually show up the hologram, whereas on the, the passport that's been submitted to us, which we have now determined is not a genuine passport, you can't actually see that holographic image. So by now it's been determined that this is a fake passport? That's correct. This is not a genuine passport. So this client who actually did hold a resident visa and has left the country and lost her right to residence, this application has been declined because she's presented a fraudulent identity document. So how long did that take from the time she applied to get it to this point where someone has identified that this is a fake document? So what would happen is when someone submits their passport to us with an application, we would scan it at the point of lodgement. It would probably vary in terms of the time that was taken to get that to the identity checker. I'm not sure in this particular instance what the exact time was, but it could take weeks or months depending on on the workload of Mm -hmm. those people. What was the next step in this one? Before the application was declined, this um, client was sent a letter asking for her to comment on the case. She responded saying that she'd like to withdraw the application. She had no idea that she had submitted something that wasn't a valid travel document and that she would be quite happy to reapply once she'd sorted out her issue. And that's that? I suppose for her that's that. It would be very interesting to later see what kind of explanation there would be for submitting a fraudulent travel document. And... Would there be an alert placed next to her name? This question goes no further because it might give away too much about how Immigration New Zealand detects fraud. Can't talk about that? Yeah, I think that's probably not something we would... Okay. So that would maybe take about seven months if you were getting um, a visa application for a category that was temporary and that was a simple application where they'd filled everything out how long would that take an officer to yeah to for do? this for this type of application it would probably only take 10 to 15 minutes if if the person was a genuine resident in New Zealand and applying for travel conditions for example um, this would be it would be a very straightforward application if everything was there um, it was the same passport that was used when we granted residence um, because obviously we check the identity at that stage as well That's right, 10 minutes to process a simple application. But it's the growing number of fraudulent applications that's the problem. Immigration New Zealand experienced an 88% rise in fraud in 2018. And it says that was just the tip of the iceberg. Just listen to this story from Visa Operations Manager Anthony Yukich about a diploma mill. In different places around the world, you are able to go online and obtain a diploma or, or a degree or a certificate that shows that you have a qualification of some sort, but that qualification will, will not be a real qualification. 
and there are companies that have been set up to effectively just print fake fake degrees. Those companies exist both online and in physical premises uh, around the world and are set up to for, for a few different reasons. And one of those reasons is in order to uh, give false information through visa uh, processes for for a whole range of countries. Mm. So I mean, the existence of diploma mills is it's not a new thing. It's, a, it's an old concept. I, I have seen a, a particular case where a diploma mill has been set up in a physical premises when you looked at the certificate or you looked at the qualification, they had an online presence, so it looked like a legitimate website that was from a university. But when you looked in further, there wasn't really much detail. There was a Gmail address for that university. It was difficult to contact people from the school. And further investigation verification for an on-site visit discovered that this particular place was run out of a very, very small office in the middle of a city. Um, there was one classroom that seemed to only operate uh, one day a week, so they were offering classes for about an hour a week on a Sunday. The rest of the time there were no students. There were plenty of staff there, but their job was to um, take payments and print degrees on the spot. Um, Of course, when um, verification uh, officers showed up to those premises, they certainly claimed to be teaching over 20 different qualification types, uh, but only one hour a week apparently. And some of the students that were showing us qualifications seemed to have only obtained these qualifications only a week before, two weeks beforehand, but with a predated qualification that seemed to suggest they'd been studying two or three years. Um, of course, the, the degrees weren't worth anything. We find that these places are printing en masse mm-hmm. diplomas, but that's not something that is a monopoly for, for students um, who uh, apply to go to New Zealand. That is any, a lot of other countries um, experience a similar aspect. Um, don't get me wrong, the vast majority of students that apply to come to New Zealand are legitimate students that just want to come here, want to gain a qualification and have a, a Kiwi lifestyle while they're, while they're living and studying. But there are absolutely an element of people who will try to show us they've got a qualification prior to, to coming here to back up their, their application. And by doing so, they might actually go out and utilise one of these diploma mills in order to obtain a false certificate. And because more and more applications are fraudulent, the wait for any visa is taking longer. But it's difficult to get a straight answer about just how long. How would you describe the impact that that increase in fraud has had on the time it takes to process everyone's applications, you know, not just the fraudulent ones, but across the board? We do have a large number of applications that um, are really genuine applicants who want to come here and study, visit, work and so on. There are a proportion of applications that do have risk factors, whether that's for fraud or for migrant exploitation. Um, Certainly it does take us longer to look through those documents and make sure that we do the appropriate verification depending on what type of um, visa it is or what type of document. Um, Those applications do take longer. We have an expanded risk and verification network around the world now with risk and verification officers in multiple locations and certainly the increased presence of those staff around our network has really helped us detect fraud and look at the patterns of fraud that are emerging. But what part does fraud play in the waiting times? I think that would be very difficult to quantify. Immigration New Zealand is reviewing more than 200 student visa applications after the Ombudsman criticised some of the agency's decision-making processes. It follows the deportation of a group of Indian students after their agents used fake documents to get them into the country. I think it's really important to point out that it's a whole raft of factors. Um, We did have a huge increase in the number of applications at that particular point. 
and certainly that was a factor that played out as well. So I'm not sure that it would necessarily be one particular thing that would lead to that. What are the other factors? Last year we had um, the consolidation of the visa processing footprint. Um, We had a huge increase in the number of applications that came in. Certainly in the student visa space that was really, really apparent. Um, We've also seen a large increase in the percentage of Indian visitors coming from the Indian subcontinent and that has had an impact as well. So that's a small glimpse inside Immigration New Zealand and it says it is getting on top of things like it's working through student visas, it's tackling the partnership visa delays. But then it seems like it's getting on top of one thing and then another pops up and it goes by the catchy name of the New Zealand Residence Planning Range. Well, Dalipa Fonseca from Newsroom's Gallery is joining me now to explain it. Dalipa, what exactly is this planning range? Well, historically, New Zealand has basically relied on uh, what's called the New Zealand Residence Planning Range to plan for the number of residencies the country wants to grant every year, and normally it's done over a two-year period. And so that's normally set in the 40,000 to 50,000 range per year. But they've revised down that planning range to about 37,000 per year. But the number of people in New Zealand on work visas has been increasing. And that disconnect has caused a lot of issues down the line. At the end of last year, you had a lot of people waiting on work visas who uh, have put in their applications for residency and don't quite understand what the holdup is. And long-delayed decision, it was meant to come out before the end of last year. That planning range has since expired, and now the government has said that they're aiming to have a decision through Cabinet by the election time. Ooh. It's a a tricky political thing, isn't it? Because New Zealand first campaigned on a very low range, around about 10,000, wasn't it, per year? Yeah, and uh, I mean, you've had this before. um, And in fact, I think the time of the last New Zealand first government, um, they did actually um, wind down immigration and net migration uh, by a bit. But of course... What happens then is that you start experiencing um, issues like low demand, um, it starts to flow through to your uh, economy, and it starts hitting even um, homeowners because, you know, that kind of net migration affects property prices. And so you had, um, although there was a kind of dip in migration then, um, you had the Clark government who came in afterwards and uh, ramped it back up. And so you had this continual tension within New Zealand government, which is, and New Zealand politics, which is, as a country, our economy does run on a lot of migration, has traditionally run, and we're not quite sure how to run it without a steady inflow of migrants coming in. But it is electorally, there's about, uh, you know, some people say 5 to 10%, uh, some say more of voters who are very concerned about um, levels of migration and its impact on the you know, cultural issues around New Zealand and New Zealand's cultural identity. So, Dalipa, this issue of false expectations, I mean, we need the overseas students, we need those people who come in from the Pacific nations to pick fruit, but does that create problems because they have this expectation that that'll lead to residency? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, a lot of these migrant exploitation scams, this is normally the key 
cause of them, which is the disconnect between the way that the likelihood of getting residency has been portrayed um, to many of these people who are applying for it versus um, the reality of it as it has changed over time. In the early 2000s, you had like a, another large surge of immigration, for example. That was a time when about 80%, I think, of migrants came from offshore. And today, when you're talking about people who are applying for residencies, it's the other way around. It's people who are already here and who are on work visas who are now applying for residencies. And that is a situation where people have given up a lot to come to a foreign country um, with the expectation that, um, yes, it's going to be difficult and they're going to have to jump through a few hurdles, but there's still a likely pathway to residency. Um, But those opportunities have basically shrunk. If you looked at the number of work visas versus the number of residencies they were kind of planning for, Mm. uh, I think in 2008 there were about 125,000 applicants um, on work visas for a residency planning range uh, that kind of hit about 47,000 a year. And uh, now you're looking at about 290,000 people on working visas applying for about uh, a planning range of about 37,000. Wow. So, yeah. That that really illustrates the pressure on on immigration New Zealand and the pressure from migrants to want to be citizens in New Zealand. And I think that it's a sort of New Zealand cultural thing as well. I mean, I think that we like to see ourselves as a nation of migrants and as a welcoming country for migrants. So we have traditionally been very reluctant to put in place schemes that, you know, schemes to say uh, similar to Dubai, where in Dubai they have a large number of migrant workers who come in and they have no expectation that, um, you know, they're ever going to become citizens or residents of Dubai on a permanent basis. That's just the way it is. Mm. Yeah, that's the way it is. But New Zealand, culturally, I think that we have very much uh, shied away from that kind of system because I guess we perceive that as, um, you know, creating effectively a migrant underclass. Mm. But, I mean, ironically, arguably, um, you have created a similar situation if you are uh, basically putting people on work visas and they're they're able to keep renewing them for 10 years but they have no realistic shot of ever getting rights to settle here. And that is, you know, an issue when it comes to cultural integration as well. That's The Detail. Today, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across The Detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Jill Bonnet and Aletha Fonseca and the team at Immigration New Zealand. Ngamihi kia koutou e whakarongo mai ana. Thanks for listening.